The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. The last several months, we have been searching for a uh, pastor to women at Temple Bible Church. And so this morning, we present to you a candidate for that position, Amy Jimenez. Amy, would you join me up here? Would you give a warm TBC welcome to Amy Jimenez? Welcome. We literally did a nationwide search. We interviewed folks. We brought a lady in from California as well as uh, folks from around different parts of the state. And uh, we found Amy all the way in Belton, Texas. So uh, that's where she was. So Amy, first of all, tell us a little bit about uh, the folks we see in these pictures. Okay. These are my three beautiful children. Hannah is in the middle. She's 18 and she's graduating from Belton High School in a few weeks. Uh, my son, uh, Jacob, on the right is 15. He's a freshman at Belton High School. And my son, Jonah, on the left is 13, and he's in eighth grade at North Belton Middle School. And then over here in the family picture is my husband, Raymond, the only one I haven't named, and he's sitting down here. Raymond, give uh, him a howdy. Oh, there we go. Super, super. <laughs> Welcome. Raymond is a retired officer, West Point graduate, and uh, now works for Defense Industry here. So, uh, really delightful to get to know these guys over the past few months through the entire interview process. So I've asked Amy if she would share a bit of her story about uh, how uh, she came to know Christ and uh, some of the things that transpired since then. So take it away, Amy. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to share my story with you. Um, I grew up in a very loving and nurturing Christian home. And so I trusted Christ as my savior very young at nine years old. Uh, but I feel like I have been getting to know him and learning what it means to follow him as Lord ever since then. Um, <clears throat> I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And the knowledge and the understanding of that has really changed my life, um, given me a completely new perspective. And the Holy Spirit has been at work to really transform me. And the best way I can describe that is helping me to, to move my center, so centering my life from myself and my own selfish motives to centering my life on Father, Son, and Spirit to His praise and glory alone. And that perspective has really changed everything. It's really been a daily decision for me over 30 years to wake up, to deny myself, and take up my cross and follow Jesus. And it's been a walk that's been full of difficulty and trial, but full of so much joy and hope and peace and love. And God is so gracious, he continues to reveal himself to me through his word and through his spirit and through his people. And I just find myself falling more and more in love with him every day. You've got a history. You guys have uh, traveled a lot, done a lot, and uh, you mentioned to us you thought you'd be in the mission field. God led you in a different direction. So... Uh, share a little bit of that story, kind of grounded in BSF and some other places, and tell, tell us how God uh, brought you to the place we are now. Okay. Well, I wanted to be a missionary when I was a little girl, and so when I went to college, I, I chose the field of physical therapy, thinking that I could use that in the mission field. But while I was in physical therapy school, um, I met and married Raymond, and God just completely redirected me to a different type of mission field. Um, that was the United States Army. So we, we served in the Army for 15 years together. And um, as we were 
moving from place to place quite often. Um, really, my heart for women was born out of necessity because I was desperate for women as a young wife and mother to help me and support me, um, and I just needed them for survival. And so when, um, when we would move from place to place, we would always find a church home to worship with, but I found consistency and just a diverse discipleship community through BSF, and that was just incredibly formative for me. So when I came to Belton eight years ago, we finished our Army career here. Um, I knew that I really needed a group of women uh, to dig deeply into Scripture with and to pray with and study and grow together with. And um, I found that group in a very unique way, um, a group, uh, a neighborhood Bible study that I've been a part of for more than six years now, um, formed, and many of the women um, go here to TBC and hope some of you are in the audience today. Um, but those women have been so, so instrumental uh, in seeing me through some really dark times over these last few years and really shaped my heart for women. So um, from, from those situations, I have really just um, developed a passion for deep relationships with other women. So people have poured into me, mentors and friends, and have inspired me to pour into women and I love to do that, especially women who are very different than me. I feel like God has grown me as a leader. He's given me opportunity to lead Bible studies, lead home groups, and most recently to lead uh, mission teams to Haiti, which has been a true joy, and to lead um, a nonprofit organization. So a few years ago, I followed that old childhood dream, and I said, I want to go back to school. I went to seminary. And um, a year ago, I finished a degree, a master's of arts degree in Christian ministry. And that time just really also shaped me. And I feel like God um, was using it to grow my heart for ministry, um, especially to women and the poor. So a few, few months ago, uh, my physical therapy job was really changing and slowing down. And I just said, God, what, what do you want me to do next? I wasn't looking um, for a job in ministry, but this job was presented to me and I had uh, no doubt that I, I needed to step out in faith and apply. And so the process that's brought us together has been quite remarkable. I cannot just deny that the Spirit has been involved in leading us to this place. And I'm just very humbled and honored um, for the opportunity to serve and work with you. My family is really excited. We, we couldn't be more excited about growing with you as a body as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we look forward to engaging Temple and Belton, which we already love, uh, with you for the glory of God and the world. So I hope, I hope that I can get to meet as many of you as possible in the very near future, and I look forward to us trusting God to lead us together. It was really encouraging last hour at the end of the hour. Uh, there was a posse of women sitting over here with their families, and uh, I saw them make a beeline for Amy, and they were numerous women, TBC women, other women from our community that uh, had been a part of these studies that she's in here to support her last hour. So it's really encouraging to see those ladies loving on you and caring for you. So the process is this over the course of the next couple of weeks. If you have any questions about Amy serving in that capacity, if you would contact one of our elders, uh, we'll be glad to meet with you and clarify any questions you might have. In the meantime, would you place your hands in this direction so I can pray over our sister. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for this process we've been involved in. Thank you for each of these women that uh, have come our way, the ones we've interviewed, the ones that uh, we've talked to, the ones that have applied. Godly women, Father, use them in great ways wherever they are. And Father, it looks like as we journey down this pathway, Amy's going to be the person to lead the women of her body. And I pray blessing over her. I pray that you would use her in great ways to accomplish great things. She ministers to them and through them. So Father, we commit uh, her to you. We commit our body to you. And thank you for the women of this body who we love and adore in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you thank Amy for being here with us this morning as well as Raymond. Bless you. Daniel chapter 12, we're coming to the end of our journey of Daniel. I just want to read to you the final verse in that chapter. Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. But as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. And then you will enter into your rest. And you'll rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Father, as we open the word and look at the word, we have worshiped together. We have been to the table together. We've been encouraged by the testimony of our sister and your work in her life. And now, Father, we want to be those who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So teach us in the name of Jesus. Amen. He was a young teenager. His life was good. He had a close-knit family. He had many friends. He was excelling in everything he put his mind to. He was a stellar student. He was uh, attractive to other guys that he hung out with in a good way. He enjoyed life and the life that God had given to him. He, there was a pretty young lady who lived down the street, and he had his eye on her from time to time, but he was too shy to initiate conversation. In fact, when she walked down the street, he would look at her and divert his eyes away, wondering if there would come a time in the near future when he could at least get up the courage to talk to her. His life was good. He enjoyed it. He was grateful for it. Then one day there were rumors that war was coming to their community, war was coming to their nation. <clears throat> he recognized at his age as a young teenager that maybe he would be called to battle. He recognized that if battle took place, his army was as weak as the government was and many lives would be lost and perhaps his was as well, it would be as well. Well, the army came and invaded his nation and they invaded his nation. When they did, there was little or no resistance and his nation was conquered. His nation was conquered, and there came a day when he, as well as the other young men around him, would be held captive and taken away, and he remembered that last day, and it's forever etched in his memory, because on that last day, as he went to his mom, he gave her a hug, and, and he, she had to pry himself away from her, and he went to his father and shook his hand, and, and not knowing when or if he would see him again. His kid sister was there and they, they loved one another and she looked up to him and she, he patted her on the head as he took off the door and he stole one final glance back through the door of the house he'd grown up in. He looked at the table where they had devoured food and discussed their faith over and over. He, he looked back at the fireplace that had given him warmth by night and light by night so that he could read the books by light of the fireplace. He was looking at his family and looking at the home and all of a sudden it was interrupted by a soldier who said, it's time to go, let's go now. He was dragged into the street and with other young men he was led away. Did this happen Aleppo, Syria? Iran, Afghanistan? Maybe it was pre-World War II and he was in the Jewish ghetto in Budapest or maybe in Poland. Or maybe he was a Hutu, a Tutsi young boy and 1994 had come and if 
he didn't get taken away, he would surely die or the other tribe had come and led him away. Now this isn't their story, this is Daniel's story. This would happen to a young teenage boy. All of a sudden he found his city and his nation conquered and he would be let out because his folks had some connections because perhaps they were well connected. He would not lose his life, but it'd be taken away. And with one final glance he left and it never tells us in the scriptures if he ever saw his family again, ever saw his home again, but he would be transported elsewhere. When he got to Babylon, there were a lot of decisions he had to make rather quickly. Everything came to him it, it, through a funnel, it seemed, and it was so fast and furious, it was though he, he couldn't make him quick enough. And when he first got there, the first decision was, would he eat the food of the king or eat the food of the king of kings? Would he eat the food at the table of the king, the, the food that was placed before him, or would he resist and follow after the true God? And then he had other decisions to make because one day as he was rising to power, it was said that if you prayed to any God other than the earthly king, then you would be cast into lion's den. And would Daniel bow his knee to some other God or would he remain true to the living God? And as we looked at the first six chapters of Daniel, we saw that this young man who was dragged away into exile to Babylon, away from his home, away from his family, away to everything that was familiar, he, he was taken away from that place. But God in his grace and God in his mercy raised Daniel up to be a counselor to kings, to be a, a visionary, to be an interpreter of the dreams and visions of kings. And in the first six chapters, we saw these things. We saw that life came fast and furious at Daniel. In the midst of that, God blessed him. But then there was a change. And in Daniel chapter 7, all the way to the passage we study today, Daniel was no longer the one who interpreted dreams and visions. Daniel was the one who was given dreams and visions. And when he had those dreams and visions given to him, he was troubled. They were weird things. I mean, there were things that would keep you up at night if you had those nightmares. There were visions of animals with horns sprouting all over the place. And as we looked at what was meant there, it was about nations that would rise up and nations that were fall. And he would have to go tell kings about the, the fact that their nations would one day fall. And this was troubling to Daniel. The scriptures tell us it was troubling to Daniel as these angels came to him and spoke to him. In Daniel chapter 8, it says, And he, an angel, came near to the place where I, Daniel, was standing, and I was terrified, and I fell prostrate. And later on, Daniel says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. He had these visions and these dreams and what was happening. And his mind and his heart was troubled by what he had seen and what was explained to him. And then he says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and on my knees. And what we see is that as Daniel was giving these dreams and these visions and these interpretations were given to him by angels, he was troubled by what was happening. And so now we come to the grand finale. We come to the end. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 is a grand finale in multiple ways. First of all, it's the grand finale of the book of Daniel. It's the last chapter. It's the grand finale of Daniel's life. I just read to you verse 13 where it says he will, he will rest, he will die, and then he'll be risen up one day in the resurrection. So it's the grand finale of Daniel's book. It's the grand finale of Daniel's life. But in Daniel's chapters 10, 11, and 12, it's a sweeping view of history. It's the grand finale of all of history as well. And so when we look at Daniel chapter 12, it's the culmination of everything that Daniel has been given and everything Daniel's prophesied about. It's about the beginning of the end, so to speak. And so Daniel is given this vision in Daniel chapter 12, and really he's told four different things in this section. In this grand finale section, the first thing he's told about is a time of fearful tribulation. 
He's told about a time that we know as the tribulation, a seven-year period where literally all hell will break loose on earth. It's a period of God's wrath, of God's judgment against those who follow after Antichrist. And I appreciate Chase and the sermon he preached so eloquently a couple of weeks ago on that. It's a time when a false prophet would rise up and it's a time where many would die, many would be uh, cast aside, God's judgment and wrath would come. But it was also a time when many would be spared, when many would be rescued and where some in Israel would be saved. It's a mixed time, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 tells us about that. If you look at that passage, it says, or that verse 12, 1, at that time, Michael, we know Michael the archangel, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Daniel's people were the Israelites, the Jewish people. Michael will have responsibility for these people. He will arise, and there will be, such a t- there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. It says there's going to be a time of distress like no man has ever seen. Something will take place on the planet. And by the way, you can take a look at Revelation chapter 4 all the way to about Revelation 19, and it's described in greater detail. You know, when I look at chapter 12, verse 1, there are two things that stand out to me. First of all, this will be a time of distress like the world has never seen. You know, there are times we wring our hands when we look at what the world's coming to and, and we look around and say, man, things are, th- things are not good. We look at wars in the Middle East. We look at terrorists attacked around the world. We look at the political happenings in our own nation right now and we think surely this has to be the end times if this is all there is. That's as close as I'll get to political commentary this morning. And we look at that and we say, this is indeed a time of trouble. It says that uh, it's going to be a time of distress, though, that's yet future like the world has never seen. Jesus himself used these same words describing the time of tribulation. In Matthew 24, there will be a time of great tribulation. This is Jesus speaking, such has never occurred since. The same wording out of Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus saying there's going to come a time of great tribulation when the world will see God's wrath unleashed against it in judgment. That time's coming. That time is yet future, but it's going to happen. And Michael will be there to protect his people, the Jewish people. You know, for centuries, ever since Jesus left the planet, the question has always been asked, when's he coming back? I mean, that's a question that's been asked ever since he left. Jesus has said he's coming back, and the question is when he's coming. Every time there's a hiccup in the Middle East, Every time there's something on the calendar of world events that the question is always asked, when's he coming? It started with the disciples. Jesus was still here. It's prior to the crucifixion. It's early on Matthew chapter 24. And uh, it says the disciples were sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives and they came to him privately. They didn't want anyone to know what they were talking about. They said to Jesus, tell us when this will happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. Tell us when and tell us what. Ever since the disciples, I mean, ever since Christ was here, and certainly since he's gone and said he's coming back, everybody's want to know the same thing. When and where? When and what? I mean, when's it going to happen and what's going to happen? I'm asked that question all the time, and you guys know my answer. My answer is what? Are we in end times? And Gary says, maybe. Maybe. Could be. Looks like, smells like, tastes like, but do we know? Well, the scriptures say, as you know, we've talked about this multiple times, the scriptures say that not even Jesus, Jesus says, I don't know, the Father knows, and if Jesus doesn't know, then all these other guys don't know, but there are a lot of people that think they know. Have you seen that? I mean, if you drove down I-35 for a few years, you saw a sign that said the world's coming to an end, there was a date on there. The problem is that date came and that day went, and Jesus didn't come back. 
I Googled up today, this week. You can Google up right now. You got phones. I know what you're doing there. You quit playing that game and you can Google this up. Okay? You can Google it up and uh, you can say date when Jesus is returning. There are over 2 million hits you'll get there. Over 2 million. And you can go through there and uh, everybody has an idea. Everybody thinks it's going to, everybody knows when it's going to happen, but here's the reality nobody knows. Does it look like? I'll say it looks like. Does it smell like? I'll say it smells like. Does it taste like? I'll say it tastes like. But do we know for certain? We don't. But ever since the disciples, the same question has been asked. Well, Daniel's given an answer. Daniel's given an answer. He says, when it does happen, Michael's going to be involved. And Michael's going to be involved, and he's going to protect your people. He's going to be with your people. Not only that, Daniel, it's going to be a time of tribulation like nobody's ever seen. So Daniel does not get the answer of when. He doesn't get the answer of what so much. But what he does get the answer for is it's going to happen. And you can fasten your seatbelt, Daniel, because during that time, it's going to be a time like the world has never seen before. There's lots of debates over some numbers given in Daniel. If you look at chapter, uh, down to verse 7, it talks about a time, time, and a half time. If you look at uh, verse uh, 11, it talks about 1,290 days. Verse 13, 1,335 days. All referring, I think, midpoint of tribulation on to a time of millennium is what I think all that refers to. That's how I take that position. But let me say this. There are godly people on all sides of that coin. The issue is not when, but how we are living in light of the return of Christ. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be next month. It may be next year. It may be next decade. It may be next century. It may be next millennium. But I think the real question that we have to ask is, so what? How do I live my life if Jesus were to come today? Well, my favorite verse, and if you've been at TBC long, you know this when it comes to prophecy, is this, little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may not shrink away in shame at his coming. I love that verse. To me, this is a verse that uh, tells us what we should be doing at, while the Savior's away. You abide in him. You walk with him. Everything comes out of knowing Christ and walking with Christ. It's abiding in him. It's being connected to him. It's the same word that's used in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. And so what we recognize is daily we are to be abiding in Christ. We are to be literally grafted into him. We're to walk with him and honor him. I, I love Amy's testimony. And she said, you know, she has learned over time, Father, Son, Spirit, to deny herself every day and walk with him. That's what we're talking about, abiding in him, resting in him, enjoying him, worshiping him, being part of him. Everything else is an outflow of that. And if you're doing that, when he comes, when he appears, you'll have confidence. And you won't shrink away in shame at his coming. It'll be like a parent who welcomes a child in his arm. That kid knows that he's loved and it just goes running up and jumps into their parents' arms. Versus shrinking away in shame at his coming. Last time our grandkids were here was over the Easter holidays. When they were here over the Easter holidays, uh, I was out grilling something and uh, I placed the meat in a platter and uh, I saw out of the corner of my eye, I looked, well, actually it's the corner of this eye, I can't see the other corner of that eye. So I looked, I saw some movement and uh, it was Grace and one of my grandsons and uh, when I looked over there, he had taken a piece of meat off of one of the deals there and uh, when he saw Papado looking at him, he kind of backed up a couple of steps and I said, it's okay, Grayson, I'm not going to do anything and by the way, this is a secret between me and you and now about a thousand other people, Papado does that all the time. <laughs> but when he was caught, he shrank away in shame at his coming. 
when I appeared and I saw him, I was embarrassed. But he'd have to be. Because I'm a good Papa Doe, I'm a loving Papa Doe, I'm a kind Papa Doe. And you've got a loving Savior and a kind Savior and a Savior who says, hey, when I come, if you're involved in stuff, you may shrink away in shame for a season, but guess what? You're mine. I love you, I care for you, I've saved you, and you're mine. And so we want to live our lives this way. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I can tell you this. If you abide in him, if Jesus walked into this room right now, you would run to him with total confidence and not shrink away in shame at his coming. And so I can't tell you when. I can't tell you a lot of what. I can tell you what Jesus says in the Gospels. But I can tell you a time of tribulation is coming. He told that to Michael, or Michael told that to Daniel. The time of tribulation coming. Time of great tribulation. Time of great tribulation. And so when we look at that, we say, man, I'm glad we don't have to do that. I'm glad that time of tribulation is future. I'm glad that maybe we've been taken out of here before that time of tribulation. There's a debate on that when that's going to happen. But here's the reality. I don't have to worry about tribulation. Not so fast, Bubba. Okay. Jesus is speaking to disciples. And he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have what? Trouble. You say, no, wait a minute, that's not fair, that's not right. Why should we have trouble in this world? It shouldn't be that way. Well, Jesus says, I want you to take heart, I've overcome the world, but in this world, you will have trouble. Have you found out, even as believers who know Christ, walk with Christ, sometimes we get into trouble. Sometimes trials come our way, sometimes struggles come our way. We live in the midst of a fallen world. Disease attacks the believer as well as a non-believer. Disease attacks our, 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 our uh, prodigals come from families of unbelievers as well as believers. There are struggles, there's trouble that comes upon us. It's financial maybe, or maybe it's some type of addiction or something happens. And what we find is, even as believers, one author writes this, Christ followers contract diseases, they bury children, they battle addictions, and as a result, we face our fears. It's not the absence of storms that set us apart, it's that we are set apart because we have Christ in the midst of the storm. We have him to turn to and trust in. And so he says, here, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. First of all, he says, there's going to be trouble, but look what he says also. In the midst of all this, you can have peace. So you've got trouble over here, but at the same time, you can have peace in the midst of that trouble. So I don't know what it is that's troubling you or what trials you bring to the table today or what issues you're battling in life, maybe a battle on the job, a battle in the family or whatever it might be. He says, in the midst of that battle, you can have peace. How does that happen? I mean, how does that happen? How do you have peace in the midst of the, 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 the battle? Well, some people look for peace in a lot of places. Look for peace in the pill, peace from the bottle, peace from a hookup, peace from the next vacation, peace from the next hobby. I mean, fill in this blank. I will have peace when? I mean, how do you fill that in? See, I meet a lot of restless people struggling looking for peace. The interesting article in ESP in the magazine, one of my favorite reads, by the way. ESP in the magazine interviews Michael Jordan several years ago. And uh, Michael Jordan, as you know, perhaps still to this day, the greatest basketball player in NBA history, certainly in the top two or three. And I read what Jordan said in this interview. 
I said, without basketball, I feel adrift. Sometimes I wonder who I am. For the past several years, since I retired for the third time, I've been running, moving as fast as I can, dealing with distractions, creating distractions. When my schedule clears, I'll call the office and tell them not to bother me for a month to let me relax so I can play golf. Three days later, I'm restless. I pick up the phone and tell them to send my plane because I want to go someplace else. My competitiveness kicks in. I wonder, could I still play at age 50? Could I take LeBron today? I mean, it is funny, isn't it, to think about. But here's what he says at the end of the article. He asks a question out loud. The question is this. How can I find peace apart from basketball? Do you hear what he's saying? Michael Jordan, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. Travel the world whenever he wants. Calls a secretary and says, send my plane to get me. I want to go play golf there instead of here. Can I find peace apart from basketball? Guys my age thinking about retirement, can I find peace apart from my job? Ladies getting ready to have an empty nest, can I find peace apart from my kids? People climbing, young people climbing upwardly mobile, can I find peace without success? You name it, how do you fill in that blank? Can I find peace? You fill it in. Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Look at this verse. I've told you these things so that, look at the next two words, in me, you can have peace. You will never have permanent peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Let me say that again. You will never have peace, permanent peace, apart from the Prince of Peace, ever. You'll look for the next whatever it is, and you'll never find contentment. And Jesus says in this verse, you're going to have trouble. You live in a fallen world, you're going to have trouble. But in that fallen world, recognize that you can have peace in the midst of those struggles in me. Well, Daniel is told there's a time of fearful tribulation that's coming. There's also a time of final separation that's coming. If you look at verse 2, it says, many of those who sleep... I think he's referring to the time of tribulation or died during that time and the dust of the ground will awake, some to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So, so what happens is, and for every person that's walked on this whole planet, walked on this planet ever, the six billion of us that exist, every one of us one day will die. At that moment, we'll either be brought into peace with Christ, everlasting contentment, or we'll be separated from him forever. What makes hell hell is that God is not there. I love what Max Licato says about hell. He, he, he writes these words. He says, citizens of hell long to die but cannot. They beg for water but receive none. They pass into a dawnless night. Erwin Lutzer says this it's about hell. He says, uh, one minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you never, have never known. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Look at that last phrase. The moment you breathe your last, you will be, your eternal destination will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. You know, for some of you, I wouldn't drive out of the parking lot today because you're not sure if Christ is your Savior. When I do funerals, one of the things I've done, I do at many funerals, is I uh, use the same little analogy, same little story. Uh, the congregation is there, and we sing some songs. We honor the person who's passed away, and I'll do a eulogy, a seeking to comfort the family, and then I turn to the congregation that's gathered there. 
And I tell them, you know, at this point in time, a lot of pastors at funerals wax on about a reunion. This great reunion on the shores of heaven. Many of you have been to funerals I've done. And they talk about this great reunion in heaven and how we'll all be gathered together and we'll see our friends and we'll see our family and we'll be united around the shores of heaven. And, and then I look at them and say, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news about that reunion. Everybody sits up. They pay attention. And I say, let me give you the bad news first. All of you are not going to be there. Man, you could hear, I mean, this is a funeral. Stone silence. They're thinking, this dude is weird. <laughs> but I'll tell them, you know, some preachers wax on. Let me tell you about that reunion. The bad news is all of you aren't going to be there. But let me tell you the good news. All of you are invited. Every one of you are invited. And you have the opportunity to be part of that if you trust Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. <clears throat> so let me tell you about that reunion. I, you look around, hundreds of people. I hope all of you will be there. I love you. I'm your pastor. I love you. I hope we're there forever. But here's the reality and the bad news. I know everybody in this room won't be there. Because you haven't responded to the invitation of Christ to trust him as Savior. And there is a time, a final separation that's coming. And at that moment, your eternal destination is irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. So that's why I would not drive out of the parking lot today if I were not sure that Christ was my Savior. It's a time of fearful tribulation in the future, a time of final separation, it's a time of futile investigation. Time of futile investigation. Look at, the, uh, look at verse 4. It says, As for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. I begin to think about, uh, man, we talk about end times, we talk about going back and forth. There's a, we look at our world right now, you go back and forth as never before, and about knowledge increasing. I kind of did a, uh, I took a rabbit trail this week and looked at uh, the increase of knowledge and how it's taken place. It used to be that knowledge increased incrementally about every hundred years. Knowledge would double every hundred years. Social scientists tell us right now, our knowledge doubles every 12 months. We've gone from knowledge doubling every 100 years to knowledge doubling every 12 months. And if you get into this and read it a little more, they're telling us probably within 10 years, knowledge will double every month. We were in Houston for one of our grandson's birthday, and the older of the two grandsons wanted to build a tent, I think it was, is that right? Wanted to build a tent in the living room, and our daughter-in-law, Michelle, said, well, I'm not sure how to do it. And four-year-old Kay said, ask Siri, she can tell you. Four years old. Ask Siri, ask Google. I mean, they are omnipotent. They know everything, don't they? I mean, knowledge is, you hold in your hand, I hold in my hand right now, more information at my fingertips than generations have had for millennium. I mean, right there in your hand. Four-year-old can say, hey, mommy, you can't do it, but Siri can tell you how to do it right now. And we can build a tent in the living room and spend the night in it because Siri knows everything. Knowledge will increase, but that knowledge is futile. When it comes to biblical knowledge, why do you gain it? What do you do with biblical knowledge? Look at the contrast between these two verses. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Their knowledge of truth leads them to godliness. So when I look at the contrast between those two, 
In 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge was a source of pride. When I look at Titus 1.1, that knowledge was a source of godliness. So when you go to these Bible studies and when you participate in conferences and when you grow in the Word and you have that quiet time and you hear the preaching of the Word and your knowledge begins to increase, does it increase so you might puff up and be prideful and be able to tell somebody at work how much you know or be able to defend, et cetera, et cetera? Or does it lead you to godliness? The way James puts it this way is don't be merely one who looks in the mirror and turns away and deludes himself, but be a doer of the Word. That, he says, Paul says in Titus 1.1, true knowledge, knowledge of truth should lead us down a pathway to godliness. Should be change. Should be godly change. Well, he says not only is there fearful tribulation, final separation, futile investigation, but there's a future resurrection in the last verse. But as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. Daniel, keep living your life as you are. Daniel's walking with God, honoring God. He's this young man who was dragged into exile, but he walked with God all the days of his life because, Daniel, you're going to enter your rest. Scholars think Daniel's probably in his mid-80s at this point in time. Daniel, your end is near. Daniel, your end is coming. But, Daniel, you will rise again to the allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, you may be getting older. Your life is ending here. But, Daniel, it's not done because there's a future in the presence of God. When we did the first lesson from Daniel, I made two points. Point number one was Daniel was in Babylon, but Babylon was not in Daniel. See, Daniel was taken to a foreign culture. It was a pagan culture. It's a culture not unlike our culture when many would turn away from Christianity and the truth, but Daniel didn't reject the culture he was in. And Daniel did not... uh, Look at it and say, I'll have nothing to do with it. And Daniel did not amalgamate himself to the culture. He didn't receive the culture. He didn't reject the culture. He didn't receive the culture. What he did is redeem the culture. Let me parse that out for you. He lived his life for God in front of the people that surrounded him. He redeemed the culture. That's what we've been called to do. Daniel was in Babylon, but Babylon was not in Daniel. Second thing we said in that first lesson, even though this book has Daniel's name on it, this is not so much a book about Daniel as it is a book about Daniel's God. This is a book about Daniel's God. It's about this great God who's orchestrated the times of history to bring to fruition, to bring about what he desires to accomplish to his glory. So when I look at the book of Daniel, my overall conclusion is this. It should cause us to worship the one who controls the times. I can't give you exact dates. I can't give you exact times. But I can tell you Jesus is coming back. He said he was. And he will. And so when I see that, I know that all of time will culminate in one historic event. One day the heavens will part. And our Savior will come down. And I pray you're worshiping him now and each day. So if that day happens today, you won't shrink away in shame at his coming, but you'll be like a kid running up to a parent with open arms and jumping in and saying, to God be the glory, great things you've done. Daniel, the book about Daniel's God, our God, our great God, whom we love, adore, and worship. If you don't know Christ, don't drive out of the parking lot today. You sit at that steering wheel. You sit right now as I lead you in prayer. 
and make sure that Christ is your Savior. Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, our Savior came, gave his life. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made righteous. We might be saved. We might be given new life. We might become new creations. So we thank you. If you're here today and you're not sure if Christ is your Savior, if you were to get on I-35, and we've all been on it, we know it's not safe. If something happened to you and you were mauled, your future could not be changed. Do you know Jesus? If you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, if you haven't, why don't you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I want to know with certainty that you're my Savior. And so I ask you for the forgiveness of my sin, for eternal hope and eternal life. And maybe this morning, if you look at your life, you don't have a lot of peace. You're looking for the next whatever it is, and your life is in turmoil, and your heart is not content. That verse says, you can find peace in me, in Jesus. Would you confess before God's throne your lack of peace and ask him to replace that chaos with only the peace comes from abiding in him. Father, we conclude this journey and we thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.